0: This is The Great Escape Podcast, episode 25. We are going for liftoff in T-30. All systems are go. And on this episode, I'm talking to Eric Sims, who, well, basically starts his bio with drug smuggler. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey,
1: thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be here. You're very welcome.
0: So, obviously, with an intro like that, there's got to be an interesting story behind it. Tell us a bit about your life before... You made the changes that got you to where you are.
1: Yeah, I you know the uh, kind of the short version is I grew up in a, a middle class uh, you know white family in in Texas, and um, you know it's kind of traditional Southern Baptist Christian kind of upbringing uh, that you get in that area, and um, I was never one that really took to it real real well. I, I uh, early on in my life I I found out that being one, I was extremely insecure at a young age, and so um, I found very quickly that I could, you know, kind of control or get attention and do things by being the bad guy, you know, and getting in trouble. And as a kid, it was just little stuff, you know, but it was just, it, it, that's where it all started. And um, by the time I was in high school, you know, and getting into my late teens, I had already started exploring alcohol and drugs pretty heavily from a usage standpoint and uh even some you know incidental selling of drugs here and there and things like that to uh pay for my own drug use you know and uh partying and things like that so the at that point in time it was all just kind of out of adolescent fun in my mind it wasn't really anything malicious um it was just something where hey you know i kind of fell into some stuff and then um alcohol and drugs gave me that feeling that i could be myself i guess i thought at that point in time so that was kind of where it originated you know uh, in the early teens
0: i think for a lot of people that is where it starts and for similar reasons it's it's either pain relief escapism yeah or it's that sense of control
1: yeah yeah and then uh, you know i think the big turning point for me after after it's i was already getting in trouble and being you know that kind of idiot kid you know throughout school i was a terrible student and, and learned that um, uh, I, I was a fairly attractive kid. So I think I manipulated things because I looked, I looked a little kind of preppy, good boy part, but I wasn't. So I used that to manipulate my way through school and things like that. But by the time I got to uh, my early 20s, uh, at, at age 21, my father committed suicide. And um, that was a point where uh, everything changed for me. You know, from like a mentality standpoint, a motive standpoint, an intention standpoint with with everything. Um, And then the the drugs and alcohol usage, you know, shot up heavily at that point in time. Because it went from uh, what I would call lightly medicating myself (laughs) to heavily medicating myself, you know, on a regular basis. Um, I wasn't aware that that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing at the time. So, um, you know, that that was a very, very pivotal turning point in my early 20s.
0: And when did you kind of wake up and realize that this had got to change
1: yeah it so it, it all of my 20s was spent being a complete idiot um i you know i i once my dad died i like i said things switched in my head and my my new mission was to really just kind of take in my mind take my dad had done everything the right way in my mind he was a good guy church going guy you know deacon at the church uh and And my, I looked at it and said, well, look what that got him. You know, it got him broke, it got him depressed and it got him dead. So I'm not going to follow that route. I'm going to take what I want and I'll do it my way and to hell with everybody else in the process. And so when I made that call, I didn't really know what that meant. I'd always fantasized about, uh, being on the other side of the law. And then, yeah, I, you know, law of attraction guy myself, I guess I pulled that towards me maybe, (laughs) but, uh, so you know, I, by the time I was 24, I found myself involved with a group of people that were in the, in the drug business for real. Not, this wasn't like you know, selling stuff on the corner, handing off you know, little bags of, of weed somewhere. This was you know, distributing and, and transporting large amounts of drugs in the, all over the continental United States. And so all of a sudden I went, and that's when I found cocaine. I never just, I'd never tried cocaine before. So I was like, that took the next step up for me. And, and so that, coupled with all that influx of money and that destructive mindset, was very bad <laughs> for, for, about, for, the, for the remainder of my 20s. So, you know, to, to not camp out there too long, it just ended up with a lot of drug use, everything that goes along with that, all the crap that goes along with it. Uh, further loss of my identity uh, into these egos that I created and then um you know a divorce because i'd gotten married at one point in time and had a little girl uh and uh it finally at, at age 33 i was some stuff had happened with the drug business i'd lost everything i'd burned through all my money because i had such a heavy addict addiction um that uh at, at 33 my ex then ex-wife or my, i like i prefer to call her the mother of my daughter now i don't like calling her my ex-wife because it sounds a lot it doesn't sound friendly um because we are friends but um, at 33 she was moving to Florida which is where I am now and I wanted to try that uh, geographical relocation cure that you hear about where if you just move you know like things get better and all your problems stay where you were Yep. and
0: um, <laughs> I've seen it work and so I,
1: yeah it, sometimes it works you know for me it was I, I landed in Florida and, and the, the problem was still there you yep. know and uh, it was it wasn't as intense because I was able to leave a lot of the cocaine use back but the and the crime, but I was, um, the alcohol was a daily, uh, all day medication for me. And then, um, without having any resources, I very quickly found myself in trouble, you know, and I didn't have any, anything to pull me out of trouble here. So I got arrested for a DUI, which is in, in the U S is driving under the influence. I don't know what they call it overseas, but, um, yeah, driving under the influence, I ended up with an assault charge. Uh, which was a felony conviction on me on that. So I I ended up very quickly, I was looking at going to prison Mm -hmm. for five years. Um, And so all of a sudden, you know, here's this middle-class white boy who had never, had always been able to hustle his way out of everything, right? Um, Stuck in, you know, C-block in St. Pete, Florida, looking at five years up up the road. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was my moment of truth you know, was at that point in time, I I I looked at things and said, I don't, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't know what's even going to happen next, but I don't want to be like this.
0: Okay. And so in a, in a very real sense, kind of the the moment of decision was forced upon you.
1: Yeah, I think it was was an environmental, right. Forcing, like it was one of those things that rattled my cage. It took a big shaking, right. For some people, it, it might be a speeding ticket, you know, for me, it was, the utter destruction of everything other than my own breathing. You know, I'd lost everything else, and I actually attempted that too, but I had uh, I'd lost all my money, all my friends, all my family, everything, and now I'm in, I'm looking at long term incarceration. That was what hit me hard enough to say, "Holy shit! Like, there's something wrong with you, dude." <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. not everybody else; it's you. It's, you know? it is
0: you. Yeah, you brought this with you. Yeah, and at that point, you probably hadn't worked out. What it was that needed to change, but you knew that something had to change.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I knew that uh, I needed, I knew that, that I needed to change. But I didn't know in what capacity and all, all of what needed to take place. I just knew at that point in time, I have to start making changes, and I need to move in a different direction.
0: And what happened that that meant you actually thought, no, I can do this. This is going to happen.
1: Um, you know, I, I started. Um, I, yeah, I went to a, an AA meeting inside jail and I, I'd never, I, I'd <laughs> i been to an AA meeting. as one that was like court ordered where you sit in the back, get some dude, sign a piece of paper and get the hell out of there as fast as you can. Uh, so I don't think I even heard what was going on, but this was the first one I actually sat in and paid attention. And um, it was hearing other people talk about recovery and talk about their addiction in a way that I related to. One, I had lived my entire life thinking I was like uniquely broken and that there was nobody that could understand me or relate to me because of that unique brokenness. And so that shattered that delusion in that moment. I was like, wait a minute, there's other people out there who not only have been like me, have made it, you know, to the other side of this. And so that was, for me, it sparked some hope. So I was like, okay, what did they do? Like, that was the question in my mind. Was like, what are they doing? How did they do it? And what do I need to do to, to get that, you know?
0: Okay. And having, heard that and decided what is it they did how did you then come up with what it was you needed to do
1: yeah i so at, at first it was um a combination of I, I i mentioned before i came from a christian background so i was familiar with christianity um in, in a sense that was not attractive to me but being locked up you normally get a couple of free books one of them's a bible yeah the, <laughs> the other one's an aa book <laughs> if you, if you request it <laughs> so Again, I, just, I and in that position, I just took that as an indicator. I was kind of, at that point, I opened myself up to something that there's maybe a power greater out there than myself. And I was like, well, it's just odd to me that I've got these two books. It's the only two books I've got at this point in time. And I'm looking for direction and they have directions in them. Right. So I started with real simply just reading and writing and journaling and taking notes and trying to apply what I was learning in the environment I was in. Right. Uh, and one of the things that always sticks out to me is like, I had been such a selfish asshole for, you know, decades. Uh, the the act of sharing or caring was so foreign to me. That was something I implemented earlier because I read in both things, like help others, read in the Bible. You know, I was reading through that because I was like, hey, this, these guys, look, so, there's some nice things in here about sharing, helping, and being kind. So I was like, I can get into that. So it was like sharing food, right? Like there's not a lot of food in there. Um, or helping guys that couldn't read and write. Right. I I was one of the more highly educated people in the room. So there were people that couldn't even read their mail that their family sent to them. So being able to you know, help somebody write a letter back to their mom or their dad and tell them what's going on. Um, And then what made me realize, hey, this shit works, was all of a sudden when I would do something little like that, give somebody a pack of cookies or whatever, I felt amazing. More amazing than I ever felt getting high or drunk or anything like that. And so I was like, hold on a second. So there's something to all this. There's, there's the proof I was looking for that if I just do simple things, good things can happen. And as I started implementing more and more of those things, I just started seeing more and more remarkable things happen. Like just, you know, different books I, I would need to read would show up whether they were on psychology or whether they were on, uh, you know, behavior and self-talk and things like that. It would just so happen they would be on the book cart, you know, and it would come around that week. And so... I would read that and write and implement and talk and keep going to meetings. So I just, you know, in the, court process, I saw some really remarkable things happen that I had no control over. And that was new to me too. It was like, I, this forced me to relinquish control. And I had to very quickly teach myself how to control my thoughts because I could very easily drive myself crazy with the intensity of conversation that was going on around what's going to happen to me next. Because I didn't know when I was going to court, if I was going to court, and if I was where I was going after that. Um, so, if I didn't control that really quickly early on and learn that I would have drove driven myself crazy, you know, in the first 30 days I was there.
0: Okay. So, uh, and can I ask how long you were there until court happened?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was there for 90 days, which was like, I always call it my 90 day starter program. And, <laughs> and then, um, I was fortunate. That's when I got into court where I was supposed to get sentenced to, to prison. Um, I had I had a few people that had had meaningful says in my life and in that specific trial that came in and spoke positively of of an opportunity to uh, to position me to go to a drug treatment center instead of prison. Um, And so uh, and I requested that, too. And the conversation I had with the judge and the thing that went on, they uh, fortunately, you know, gave me that path instead of the other one. So I was able to go to a six month in house court order treatment center. Uh, here in tampa so i was able to just expand that process and keep working on myself over the following six months and then start adding stuff into it right like it as you learn like it, for me it was really constrictive at first right? i was in jail then i get in here and i get a little more freedom a little more responsibility and things i've got to do a little more learning and at a certain point in that program you've got to get a job so then you got to get up and like that was a whole nother deal for me like you know i've got to Hell, I didn't know what I was going to get. My, my expectation of my first job in there was going to be like, I was going to go out, dig a hole, and at the end of the day, they'd tell me to fill it back up and then come back the next day and dig the same hole again. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what, I didn't know if it was going to be anything, you know, other than minimum wage, and, and I was willing to do that. I was fortunate enough to find a job in, in a contact center, which gave me the ability to work inside in the air conditioning and leverage something that I had done previously, which was sales. Uh, but it was entry level. Like, I hadn't done that since i was 16 you know um so that was a big dose of humble pie and uh, but it was good for me at the same time because it was all i could handle that was going to work every day and then turning around and dealing with the circumstances and, and people and environments and, and conflict and all that and having to come back and e- evaluate and deal with that and how do i deal with this stuff in a new way because the old way was just bulldoze quit manipulate whatever it was
0: and that's actually what you say about being in sales i have spoken to many people who've been in drugs and dealing and yeah every single one of them can sell yeah because because that's what you're doing
1: yeah and i had some legitimate sales jobs and i think the heart what was what was interesting about it for me was all the sales i'd always done involved manipulation right and so then i'm like all right i'm going into sales but i've got to learn a new way to do sales because i'm working on a program that's built on vigorous honesty So I can't compromise my vigorous honesty in in my recovery to get a sale, (laughs) you know, and then I didn't know where that would go. Right. Like I know, like I did understand and believe that like one, one, one time of doing that today might not do anything to me, but a month of doing it every day on, you know, 50 phone calls a day creates a mental habit that could be very destructive in another area of my life. So I had to approach sales totally different and learn how to do that without manipulation and being honest with people and having really authentic conversations and being okay with being rejected, which was a whole nother problem I had. You know, growing up was like, I had this huge yeah. fear of rejection. So now I'm in sales getting rejected 49 times a day. So I'm like, shit, like this is this is another part of my boot camp. Like this is literally the universe teaching me how to deal with what I've always refused to deal with in a short period of time, right? And it was tough, you know, it wasn't easy. No, absolutely. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was just part of the process, and it helped me immensely.
0: Now, what's fascinating me is that the, the strength of character, something has obviously flipped inside your head that said, if I don't do this, well, not doing this is not an option. I have to do this. And I'm wondering where that decision came from.
1: I, 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 I think I've, I've always been kind of laser beam focused on stuff when I get pointed in a direction. And so for me, I always used to tell people, I was like, I was like pointed, you know, to the left and I just somehow something or I turned myself or a combination there of turned me in a different direction. And it was a matter of staying focused in that direction. And, and I haven't been perfect in by any means, but I, it, the, the thing I, I think the, the the awareness that I had and I try to keep still today is that that entire life I had before was not by coincidence. It was by intentional decision making that I made followed by repetitive behaviors and habits. right? And so I knew like, if I can create that, if I can create that much destruction using poor habits and poor this and terrible mindsets, if I just create good habits and good mindsets pointed in the right direction, I can create just as many positive outcomes in my life as I did negative. And so that's been my chase ever since then was just like, how do I keep expanding the positivity, the growth, the, the clarity, uh, the awareness and, and how do I deliver that on a regular basis for my own self and then how does that transition into connectivity with other people, right? And collaboration and, and con- contribution to other people.
0: And so during that time in rehab, was that a time when you were able to build a plan for what life was gonna look like outside or did that happen once you'd left rehab?
1: I, I think it started even before that and it wasn't intentional at first. Uh, Like I said, I think it was, it wasn't like in my mind, I was like, here's the plan, you know, because I didn't really know what the hell was going on. (laughs) But when I look back in retrospect, a lot of what's taken place was what I was focused on at that point in time. Um, So I had a vision of what I, I, quote, prayed or hoped or wanted things to be like for everybody. But for the first time, it wasn't a self-motivated, selfish vision. I think that was a big transition for me. I spent an enormous amount of time envisioning A future and backing into what needed to take place for that that involved all the people around me being extremely successful and happy Um, and somehow I knew that if that happened I would be involved and be able to contribute to that in some capacity Um, and so that was how it started out it started out just with simple stuff like meditation and prayer and envisionment of like I'll give you example of my my uh, my daughter's mom I used to just sit for long periods of time and envision her being remarried and happy, successful, doing a career she loves, my daughter being happy and all of us being friends. So once I got a clear vision of that, all the behavior that needed to go in place to make that vision happen started to formulate.
0: And you bring up actually a theme that's been in the last few episodes of the podcast uh, is that our minds get set into kind of railroad tracks, the, the habitual behaviors that we have uh and actually retraining our minds to go down different railroad tracks can be incredibly powerful You're, but but it has to be something we choose to do it it doesn't just happen yeah
1: yep it has to be calculated um you know I, and that was one of the things i I did a lot of evaluation on myself talk like i said when i was first early on i had to because i was driving myself crazy with the unknown factor of what was going to happen so i just tried to reformulate that each time and see kind of acutely in touch with what am I saying to myself Um, and over the years I've been able to describe that differently and and look at it a little bit differently but in in essence it's the same practice of just is what I'm saying loving to me (laughs) it's like how I would say it now right and is it is it making me feel good and is it is it authentic and true too because it can't be delusional at the same time and um, and so then it was you're right habitually And for me, it was, I I started out, I wrote a lot of stuff, almost like a kid at a chalkboard, you know, like I had to write stuff down every day, numerous times while I was in treatment and in in jail. And even after that, it was years of progressively staying on top of that thought process to refine, you know, like, uh, like I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza, but like, it's like the rewiring and refiring of those synapses in your brain. And you know, and, and, and getting that stuff to work differently. And so it, it progressively got better, but you're absolutely right. It, it was a it was a calculated process that you have to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and that's you know, something that I talk about in the six steps to freedom is kind of you have to deliberately go down this road. It isn't gonna happen by accident because you've got to this point because your brain has done the things it's done. Yep. Now you have to change something. Once you got out of rehab, obviously you have you Did you, were able to keep the job or did you have to find a new job and somewhere to live? And
1: Yeah, I, um, I, well, living was one thing, right? Um, I had, um, I was making like $12 an hour, right? (laughs) And in Florida, that's, that's, that's not a ton of money. Um, I, so I kept the same job. One of the things they told me when I left was try not to change too much because enough is changing already with you, with you moving. Right. So I had no driver's license because of the DUI. I was still on a suspended license. I couldn't drive anywhere. So I, I ended up renting a, like a closet is what I call it. It was, it was a boarded off little piece of a house that these people would rent me for like 150 bucks that was in walking distance of the call center I was working at. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I went there, uh, I didn't move back. And, and mind you, my, the girl I was dating when I went in actually stuck around, she's now my wife, but she, she was still living in her place. I didn't want to move back in with her because that was what I'd done before. It was always, girls were always a part of my, formula so i was like i need to be on my own so uh you know i walked to work every day did through that challenge right of just being like you know totally totally different making very little money paying my own way i was fortunate enough i ended up staying with that company for 11 years um or 10 years and learned that industry inside and out so but it was every step of the way um I had to, you know, fail and succeed and learn and grow and expand. There were times I was a real asshole and screwed it up big time. And there were times I was a major success, you know, and I would go back and evaluate what's the difference. Why was this so different than this? I'm in the same environment with the same people. And it always came back to my mindset and my approach and my self-talk, right? Like it was just that space, that spatial stuff. And um, so I kept doing that. I also was at that point in time in my life was heavily into uh, the religious side of my, my recovery. And so I was very involved with a a church that was there. I started a recovery ministry at that church and ended up being a pastor there for a little while for about five or six years. Um, and learned a lot, had a great, again, I also had a mentor. That was one of the big things for me when I got out was I needed to find a sponsor, but I also wanted a life mentor that understood what I wanted in life. When you were talking about setting those goals and setting those expectations, I learned in recovery, like I mentioned before, I, I would find people that I knew had something I wanted. They already had it. They possessed it, and they already earned it. And so I did that when I got out. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a successful life. I wanted to be a good dad and a good husband. And so this man, uh, David Towner, who was the pastor of the church I was attending, was that to me. He was like good guy. He was cool, really smart, got it, but he was also a phenomenal husband and, uh, and a great dad. And so I just like followed him. <laughs> around and like i let him speak into my life for a long time and coach me and mentor me um and i learned an enormous amount i would not be the guy i am today if it not been for him you know and i i I say that saying like i think i'm a pretty good guy today and that's not being egotistical I just i know what a shithead i was before (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
0: Uh, and you bring up something there which we see all the time is you know if if the the five people we spend our most of our time with are overweight and smoke and unhealthy. Then we are likely to be overweight, smoke and unhealthy. If we get alongside or hang around with people who have got their shit together, if they're if they're the kind of people we're trying to become, then our behaviors tend to move towards the way they behave. But also, in a way, you've taken it that that next step forward. You said, I'm going to look to this guy or this person to be my mentor. I'm going to consciously try and mimic the best of their behaviors.
1: Yeah. I I had somebody tell me something one time along the way, and it really stuck with me. It was like, there's two ways you can learn in life, mentors or mistakes. And I had been a mistake learner (laughs) Most of my life and mistake learning is fine, but it's very painful, you know, (laughs) and slow and and slow. Right. And so I was like, mentor learning is like, I get to take everything he's learned and fail, success, everything. And it's condensed down in this nice little bite sized thing. And he can hand it to me. He can hand me 10 years in in, in an hour, you know. Um, And so, you know, with with Dave and with some of the sponsors I had in in the uh, recovery side of things, um, it was a phenomenal schooling on life for me. You know, I got, a, I got a first grade education,
0: first rate, first, tra- yeah. first grade, first rate. And you've taken all of that. And okay, life isn't perfect. There will always be, uh, you know, those moments where something goes wrong, or you, you make a, a bad decision, because we're all human beings and and stuff happens. Tell us what life is like now. What do you do? What's the next step?
1: So I, I really, I just made a major change in my life um, in May of this last year. So I had Stayed with that one company for 10 years. Um, It it ran its course. I'd done everything for them I could. We all shook hands, stayed friends, and I went to work for another company in the industry, um, which was another learning experience. It was was the opposite. The other one I'd come out of was almost like family. This one was awful. It was like a a toxic environment, very negative. And I I stayed in that for about 18 months, and it, it gave me another perspective. I learned a lot from a business standpoint, but it gave me a very good perspective on what I wanted to do. Uh, And then when that ended, I had always, once I left the church, I had started this little kind of coaching practice that I had done on the side, uh, where I did some consulting, I did some personal coaching, um, but I never really said, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to make it part of my life. Uh, And the other thing was, I'd always been hesitant to start my own business again, because I had this major fear, because my dad was an entrepreneur, that somehow I would repeat his mistakes and fail as a father and husband and all that. And so I became very clear that that was not a good reason to move forward in life. <laughs> and so uh, in May, I, I, uh, I went ahead and went, went on my own. So I've got, I have got opened my own call center because I understand that industry I've been doing it for about 15 years. And I'm also still doing the coaching and, doing, and pushing that and doing the coaching and consulting. So, um, you know, I'm now a dad of four. Um, I've got one kid in college and the other three are in elementary school. They're all into the spectrum, but everybody's good and healthy and happy. I'm happily married. My ex-wife, my daughter's mom, is uh, happily married, very successful th- psychotherapist. Now, um, all those things that, and I'm not saying I did it because I envisioned it, but all those dreams I had for her have come true. Um, and it's very exciting for me to see her live such a wonderful, happy life and be friends with her. I have an amazing wife, um, you know, and then you get all the challenges that come along with that. You know, I have navigating blended families and, um, you know, teenagers with little kids and, my wife started her own business a year ago so we're some wacky crew we have started three companies in a year and a half and somehow are trying to support our family doing that uh, <laughs> you know but I, all of that is a culmination of all the work we've all done over the last you know 11 12 years to get us in a position where we're even adequately prepared to take that challenge on and and take that next expansion of capacity for us and do it in a way that's functional and healthy
0: and fun and fun yeah, yeah um there's no point in starting your own business if you're then driving yourself into the ground and stressed and
1: no yeah no and I, and that's what would have happened if i'd done it any earlier in my life i would have i would have been in in a, not in the space to handle it and take things on as they come and be okay with it I, I didn't I, I didn't recovery was really great i would say i was 10 years into and i'm, I'm 12 and a half years into my recovery now i'm just going to give you a point of reference i was 10 years into a successful recovery before I actually fell in love with myself. And at that point in time is when I really started feeling like I had something to offer and being powerful in my position each day. So the last couple of years have been very exciting and fun.
0: And that's that's a really uh, interesting point of honesty is actually this that change has taken a huge amount of time to settle in your own mind so that you're okay with you.
1: Yep. Yeah, it was, a, it was I, you know, and again, it's, it's a gradual awareness, right? It's like always people always refer to like peeling an onion or whatever it may be. You can't take it all at once, but yeah, that was, you know, there was a lot of functionality that came back, but that, you know, and there's still a lot, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, being getting into a place where I'm, I finally can like be okay with who I am, what I am, where I am, and, and, and at any point in time, uh, it's such a relief you know it's such a great space to be in and so that's part of what I've tried to package up with some of my coaching and stuff too because that's what I want everybody to experience at some point in time it, it takes a while it takes work it takes effort it takes dedication but people can experience that that love and peace and happiness that's out there or it really in there
0: yeah, yeah I definitely echo that I had um, there are similarities in our stories and I ended up uh, only in the relatively recent years actually been able to look at the guy in the mirror while I'm shaving in the morning and think I'm okay with who you are yeah you know, it, it, it's nice to get to that point it's a good feeling isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> rather when I'm running run away from who that right. person is so the we'll put details of your coaching uh and the call center if if you want in the show notes oh great. Uh, so people can get hold of you. awesome me. thank you and thank you so much for for your story it's really lovely to have a story of somebody who really has struggled through life and is making it and it's not without its challenges but you know, uh, it would be crazy to assume that anybody was out there with without any challenges and that there was the sounds of children in the background earlier
1: they, I have other, my wife does survival swim for infants so that's, that's what I was telling her earlier I was like you can't open Just the door because it sounds like pool. she's killing kids in the backyard <laughs> but she's not <laughs> it's, so yeah, there's kid, there's always kids. Like I said, I have three little ones. There's always anywhere between three to ten kids in this house. Normally, except okay. they're at school right now, so it's a little more quiet. But um, it's okay. it's cool. I you know it's like, and that's enough. That was another adjustment. You know, talking about adjustments. That was another big adjustment coming home from being in an office for twelve years and having like normal business day too. Your business day being all over the map, and in the middle of it, you've got to go get juice boxes and you know break up fights and things
0: like that yeah i'm trying to have a phone call and there's a child screaming (laughs) exactly you're like i'm on a conference call (laughs) yeah Yeah, we've all been there it's all been fun mine are grown up but i remember that survival swimming um yeah there's a story about my youngest who's now 21 which i won't tell on the podcast thank you so much for listening to this episode of the great escape podcast You can find other episodes at all the usual places on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify, or at the website greatescapepodcast.com forward slash episodes. And if you'd like to contact me to talk about any element of this episode or others have covered, please go to greatescapepodcast.com forward slash contact, and you can find all the ways of getting hold of me there. And if you're stuck in a situation and you can't find the way out please go there send me a message and let's see how we can work together to get you unstuck and moving forward with your life again please do share this podcast with your friends and family other people you think might appreciate it and comment on episodes or send me a message i'd love to keep the conversation going